This morning we're in first, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We are continuing through the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, very much of an autobiographical book that Paul writes. He is writing to a church that he founded. He is writing to his spiritual children. Uh, just a little bit of history if you haven't been with us. Um, there was a lot of opposition against Paul. Uh, when he came and preached, they received the word. He stayed in Corinth for a year and a half discipling them, teaching them. He departed. He, he would start churches, appoint leaders, and move on. Uh, after he left Corinth, there were others that came behind him uh, discrediting him, and they called themselves apostles. They were not really sent of the Lord, but they were self-appointed. Uh, they seemed to be men who were very self-righteous and self-important. They made a practice of, of receiving money and they kind of made a business out of the ministry. Not wrong to receive a salary if, if and when it's appropriate, but they were making that a, a real emphasized part of their life and their ministry and so-called ministry to the Corinthians. In trying to promote themselves, they also sought to, to put down Paul, and they spoke poorly of him. And so at this point in Paul's life, there's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of criticism. Besides that, he had suffered physically, many times being assaulted or beaten or going without food, going without sleep, that kind of thing. And so he's been just explaining himself to his spiritual children. Um, let, me, let me go back to actually chapter 4, verse 7. Let me just read because a number of chapters here, it's just a real continuous thought and a flow. And I think if we, if we catch the flow, we, we do well for ourselves. Today we're going to be studying down to verse 9 of chapter 5, but let's go back to chapter 4, verse 7. I'm just going to read. He's talking about his life. He's explaining the difficulties of, of following Jesus uh, in that culture, in that day with the opposition that he faced. So he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, speaking of himself. I'm just a clay pot, he would say, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. But since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore we speak. Knowing that, he who raised, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. Kind of a pivotal point right there. He's, he's looking forward now to beyond this life and he's going to carry that thought through in chapter 5. Verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Because God, because God is doing all this in our lives, and has promised us heaven too. We don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, speaking about, for him especially, the assaults on his body, but all of us getting older. The outward man is perishing. The body gets weak. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that's how he described his struggles, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are, are not seen are eternal. For we know, here's our text for today, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, in this body, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, in this body, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, since that's all true, we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. Let's pray together before we study. Lord, may that be our, our cry that we make it our aim to be pleasing to you. May we stand in that place also that the Apostle Paul stood in regards to being sure and being confident of heaven. So grant to us, Lord, by your Spirit, Lord, that confidence and that purpose, the confidence of heaven and the purpose of pleasing you. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our target verse is, and where we're going to land is going to be verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Everything that we're sharing uh, before that and up to this point in the, in the verses that I've read, um, they, they lead to that. Paul is sure of a number of things. He's confident of a number of things. He was sure that he was getting beaten up, but he was also sure that God had a new body for him. He was sure that he was disapproved by the super apostles, but he was sure that he was approved of by God. He knew very well the, the distance that, that the Corinthians were putting between themselves and him, but he knew even better the closeness that he had with Jesus. The reality of the, of the physicality of life and the opposition and all of that was, was a very true reality, but, but the greater reality was that which was unseen. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, guys, if we, you know, we can be definitely forgiven, saved, on our way to heaven, but we can be living like unbelievers. We can be letting emotions dictate and, and rule in our lives. We can be letting the culture decide how we should raise our children and how we should have our marriages and what's okay in our personal or public or private life. As believers, we're called to, to, to not walk by faith, but by sight. Excuse me, not walk by sight, but by faith. Oh, almost, got, almost did a heresy there, didn't I? You guys got to go, hey, wait a minute. Okay, wave the finger at me next time. Okay. Um, we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. We're called to walk by faith, not by emotions. We're called to walk by faith, not by threats or insecurities or the uncertainty of the of the economy or the job market or the uncertainty of your health or the uncertainty of family situations. We're called to walk by faith. And then there's this great thing called our body, which is getting older and older and older and will someday shut down 
And we'll close our eyes on this side and open our eyes on the other side. And we're called to live by faith, believing that that's going to happen. And if that's the greater thing, that should trickle down, if you will, and I mean that in the best sense, that should trickle down and determine everything that we do in our mortality. That should affect the way that we live here. That's the greater reality. There's an author up in Oregon. His name is Randy Alcorn. I've used this example before, but some of you haven't heard it because I haven't used it for a while. He said, life and eternity, life starting here today and eternity going on out into infinity is a series of dots, and they're close together. It's a series of dots. And life, mortality, this life is the first dot. And after you die is all the rest of the dots. And then Randy Alcorn asked a very searching question. He says, are you going to live for the dot or are you going to live for the line? The line has to affect the dot, if you're following my, my metaphor, my thinking. Eternity, guys, whatever eternity is all about, it has to affect how we live now or else we're walking by sight. We're walking by emotions. We're walking by indulgence. We're walking by anything else except faith. We want to walk by faith. I think I, did I turn that around again? I don't know if I did or not. I'll, I'll check the video. <laughs> We want to walk by faith. I'll say it again. We want to walk by faith. And we want to make it our aim to be pleasing to Jesus. So let's see how the Apostle Paul got to that place in life and how we can get to that place in life. Number one, he says mortality is passing. We need to understand our mortality. We need to understand the brevity of life. His ministry calling was high and costly. He had a broken body and a broken heart, often. But there was something greater than the broken body and a broken heart. He says in verse 1, For we know he had a great confidence. His ministry calling required much of him, and so he needed that confidence. Look at verse 1. We know that if our earthly house is tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. He's using that metaphor and that illustration of the body being like a tent. And he says, I know, I'm positive, that when this tent is folded up, God has a building for me. He has a new body for me an eternal body. He was sure of his salvation and this promise for the future brought him comfort. He says, if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, the human body is compared to a tent here. And we remember that Paul was a tent maker. So it was a real fresh and uh, relevant illustration in his mind. We know that if our earthly house's tent is destroyed, the word destroyed literally means when you're striking down a tent, when you're taking down a tent. And he's simply saying, my body is a tent. We're not a body with a soul, we're a soul with a body. The soul is eternal, the, the body is not. And so he says, when, when, this tent is time, when it's time for this tent to be folded up, I move on to the eternal habitation, the building that God has for me. When you take down a tent, guys, it's easily taken down as you move from one place to the next. And a tent, I mean, I, we grew up camping, and I'm really thankful for that. I love camping. But after a while, you're ready to go home, you know? The tent is drafty and this and that, and if it's an older tent, you know, the, the zipper doesn't work and the mosquitoes are getting in and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff. And so after a while, it's not for permanent residency. And our bodies, our physical bodies, as we have them, such as they are, I've grown rather fond of my body, by the way. I'm not always pleased with how it works or, or looks, but, I, but I'm still rather attached to it. And it's kind of a strange thing, some of these things that Paul is saying, to be quite honest with you. 
about thinking about kind of being ready to shed, shed off the tent. I'm like, I totally believe in heaven and I'm not fearful of what happens after death, but being disconnected from the tent, I've, you know, I have six, six decades and a year invested in this tent. I've been hanging around for a while. But it's just the dot. And by faith, I have to believe that and understand that. And as I grow older in the Lord, it becomes increasingly more true to me and more real. He says, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal. Notice the difference between the two illustrations, eternal versus temporary, heavenly versus earthly. And so what's coming is eternal. Dear brothers and sisters, your body right now is not, is not eternal. It's not eternal. Take care of it. I'm totally in, into the idea of us taking care of ourselves and eating well and being functional. I'm totally into that. Whatever you need to do to stay as healthy as you can, well, not whatever, I shouldn't say that, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but whatever you can do without sinning to, stay, to take care of yourself, take care of yourself. It's really wise, it's a good idea so that you can stay as functional to serve people and serve the Lord as long as you can. But the day will end, your time will end. And then we go on to the building, we step out of the tent. Paul's very honest here in his in his. Emotions. Look at verse 2. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. He was very honest about the hardships of life. He was subject to much physical pain and sorrow. I mean, even if you stay out of trouble <laughs> and, don't, and, and are not opposed by people, you know, the body starts breaking down. Can anybody groan an amen for me on that one? You know, it's like, wow, wow. One of my favorite sayings is, you know, I used, to, I used to be a bit of an athlete, you know, and one of my favorite sayings is, the older I get, the better I was. I used to be amazing. <laughs> Especially compared to now. The body's breaking down, even if you stay out of trouble. And the kind of trouble I'm talking about is, is the trouble that the Apostle Paul seemed to get himself into, righteous trouble, as he preached about Jesus and was physically assaulted. And he's saying, man, I'm groaning. He'd been beaten and left for dead and stoned and all these other things. And he's, he's just saying, it's hard. If, you're, if your body's hurting, you know, may the Lord strengthen you. Come down for prayer at the end of the service. We'll pray for you. Let's pray for one another's health. Do everything you can. Eat well, exercise. Use the essential oils. Do whatever, whatever you do, you know. Whatever, whatever kind of pillow you need. What just... You know, take care of yourself to serve Jesus and serve other people. But it's not going to make you immortal. And that's what Paul is saying, and he's just saying it's hard. He says here, we are earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. He changes metaphors here. He quits talking about the tent and the building, and now he talks about his body like clothing. He said it's just like changing clothes. Something that's taken off and you put something else on. And there's going to be a radical transformation with every Christian. You're going to take off the old body. God's going to take it off for you and you're, and you're going to put on a new body. And God is going to do that for you. I have to confess, what he says here is just out of reach for me at this, at this moment. He says, for we earnestly desire to do that. And once again, I mean, I kind of say it tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but, it, but it's real. And, there, and, and I, don't, I don't mind saying some of these things in front of you guys and there's some of you that are probably 
in this sense, maybe closer to the Lord than I am, but, but I'm not earnestly desiring to put off my body. I love the Lord. I know I'm going to see him and all that, but I'm thinking there's still some things I want to do and, you know, and that kind of thing. And I'm not trying to measure my commitment or somebody else's commitment to the Lord or anything else. It's just an amazing thing that he says this. And I think probably as we get older, that, that, that passion increases. Perhaps when we're sensing, I'm towards the end of my days. I'm ready to go. And we hear this from people that are in hospice and that kind of thing. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to step out. And, and maybe, maybe that's the appropriate timing. I don't know. Paul wasn't far away from the end of his life. And so, but it's just that he says it. I earnestly desire. And it's just an amazing thing that he says. It's an amazing thing to me. Verse 3, he says, If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Upon leaving the tent of this body, our souls are further clothed with a body from heaven. We don't remain disembodied. We don't float around like ghosts or spirits. We are not disembodied spirits. It leaves one, we leave one body and go to the next. Look at verse 4. For we who are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but notice, further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, I have heard some Christians say, and perhaps you've said it, and I'm not thinking of anybody in this room, so if you think, oh, he's talking about me, I'm not. My mind is blank. I cleared the slate before I came in regarding this, okay? But I've heard Christians saying, you have too, I just can't wait to get out of here. I, this is so hard. I just, I just want to go be with the Lord, and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, you can't, you can't criticize that statement. But I think for Paul, it's more than escapism. And it's not a wrong thing to want to get out of here. Sometimes the world is brutal, isn't it? It's just a bad place. But I think for Paul, it's not just escapism. He says, I, I want to step into that thing that God has really made for me. I want to, I want to step into the fullness of the abundant life. It's not just that I want to get away from the people that criticize me, which is a natural emotion. Fine with that. I want to get away from getting beaten up. I'm really fine with that. <laughs> I, want to, I want to get away from missing meals and, and being homeless and, and sleep. I want to get away. From, it's not just what he wanted to get away from. It's what he wanted to go to. Because I think some of us maybe wouldn't say, I can't wait to get out of here and be with the Lord. If all those negative things went away, we'd probably think, oh, it's not that bad. I'll stick around. But for Paul, it was much more than that. It's, it's like, I want to go to be with the Lord. And it's such a high and a holy statement, don't you guys think? So it's an amazing statement. He was willing to endure the hardships of ministry. His statement isn't about escapism. Verse 4 is a verse that I often use when I'm doing memorial services for believers, for Christians. Look what he says. We who are in this tent, we groan. Understandable. Being burdened, understandable. Not because we want to be unclothed. Not because we want to be apart from the body and just floating out into and be consumed and at one with a universal oneness or some other idea or something like that. No. The Christian doesn't, doesn't become a disembodied spirit. The Christian steps into a heavenly body. Look what he says. For we who are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. 
I want to take off the rags and, and put on the, bank, the clothes for the banquet. I want to put on the finest thing that God has created for me. Now this is an amazing, amazing verse, guys. If you get nothing else out of this today, get this. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Comparison. Apart from Jesus, a person is just mortal. Mortality, uh, I think, yeah, I have a definition there. That which is still subject to death. Apart from, apart from being born again, a person is just mortal. They exist. They feel things, they get married, they have jobs, they have kids, they go on vacation and all of that, but it's just, and this, this is what the Bible says, it's just mortality. And when I'm saying just mortality, we have to see the juxtaposition between mortality and, and what follows. He says life. And a lot of people, I think, who live without Jesus in their lives think, I'm really living it up. Well, you're just mortalizing it. I think I just created a word. (laughs) You're just mortalizing. (laughs) You're just busy mortalizing. It's not really life. Because life happens when we say yes to Christ. Jesus said you must be, what? Sit, born again. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10? I have come that they would have life and that more, what? Abundantly. So life without, without God in our lives is just existence. This is what the Bible says. This isn't a put down of anybody, it's just what the Bible says. Life without God in our lives is simply existence because it's lacking the dynamic of having a relationship with your Creator. You're lacking that that fellowship, that relationship, that knowledge, that interaction with the God who made you. You're just existing. And he says here that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now I'd like to suggest to you, well look look at the definition there, life, the absolute fullness of life. Real Life real and genuine. A life active and vigorous. If we're not born again, we're, 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 we're just mortal and we're animated, if you will. But if when we say yes to Christ, eternal life starts in that person right at that moment. They're born again. The spiritual life, the spirit, the spirit is activated within a man. It's brought to life again. And we have relationship with God. My pastor, uh, Chuck Smith, used to do it this way, and you've got to get up, look up here because I'm going to give you a little illustration, and you can take this home with you, okay? Before, before man is... Uh, we're triune, body, soul, spirit, right? Uh, body, soul, spirit. Before man is born again, here's the body appetites. And I'm going to include, well, body appetites. Here's the soul And man is just ruled by these two things, body appetites and desires and emotions. The spiritual man is dead. And when a man is born again, the spirit comes alive and it's inverted and now man can have relationship with God. And the spirit ought to rule over the body, the soul and the body. doesn't always. And that's what forgiveness is for in the blood of Jesus Christ who covers our sins, but then the spirit is the thing, it's alive again to God. Now, now you're really spiritually animated. And eternal life starts at that point. But it's not complete yet. 
because you're still in a body that's dying. Presently, we are eternal souls in dying bodies. Some of you might be thinking, oh man, why did I come to church today? (laughs) Because this is good news if you're a Christian, and if you're not, it can be very good news. The best news ever. I have eternal life. My flesh as it is right now, is not, it does not have eternal life. My, my spirit, my soul have eternal life. And then I'm going to have a body that matches that someday. Right now, they're just kind of hanging around in the tent. Pastor Bill Coleman, Walden. Coleman tents, little joke. I'm just, strike three, yeah, I know. Okay, I'm out of here. Get the hook. Thanks, Gwen. You're, you're real encouragement. You know that, right? That's why I keep you right in the front row throw stuff at you. Eternal soul in a, in a dying body. But when the last of my mortality passes, I step into the fullness of life. I step into everything that life has. Eternal spirit, eternal soul, eternal body, eternal relationship with God. Two out of the three are definitely in progress. This one still has to fall away. And part of me is not excited about that because I've seen people die and so have you. And it's not pleasant. But the greater truth has to carry us past all these things that are not pleasant. The greater truth has to carry us past the opposition that we feel. The pushback, the criticisms, maybe even the assaults. I don't know, God forbid, I pray there's no domestic violence in the room, but... Probably, according to statistics, there are. There is. The, the greater truth of heaven and eternity with Jesus Christ and mortality being put off and all of, the, all of the bad stuff will one day end for the Christian. That's the greater truth. And that's, that was the greater truth for the Apostle Paul. Verse 4, going into verse 5. For we who are in this tent, in this body, we groan because we're burdened. But we groan not because we want to be freed into nothing, but we want to be set free into life. We want to be released into life. Verse 5, wonderful verse. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. One of the, one of the translating words for spirit, or excuse me, guarantee, is a down payment. When you leave a down payment, you're saying, I'm, I'm putting a down payment here. This is an earnest. This is a pledge. I'll be back and make full, full payment and receive this prized possession unto myself. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. God has prepared us for eternity. But if you're in the room today and you're thinking, eternity sounds good to me, why, why is it that you actually believe, dare I do this? How many of you think you're going to heaven? What makes you think so? How do you know? I'm being a little sarcastic. You know that you know that you know. How do you know? Verse 5. How do you know? It's an open book test. He's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. There's this down payment in my eternal soul that convinces me and and brings me to the place of being sure that I'm going to go to heaven. And that as this body is is folded up, 
that I, that I step into the heavenly body he has prepared for me. Look at the bottom of page one there, Romans chapter eight. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. His spirit dwelling in my spirit, in my soul, them both agreeing together that I'm a child of God and if children, then heirs. What, what, is, what is an heir? An heir is somebody that, in, that, in, that inherits something. What are we going to inherit, guys? Starts with an H, ends with an Evan. We're going to inherit heaven. We are heirs. We are going to inherit that which is being given to us. Christ died and we, are in, we receive the inheritance of heaven. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul says it there too, same thing. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's too hot. Yeah, it's too cold. Yeah, my car is broken again. Yes, I'm sick again. Yes, yes, I have cancer. Yes, I have this or that. Or, and, or even more so, yes, I'm getting mistreated. Or yes, they're talking about me. Or yes, I'm misunderstood. Or yes, my family's departed. Yes to all these bad things. But we have a greater glory. And that's why Paul can say, therefore... Since that's true, eternity affects my present time. Eternity affects here and now. It has to be that way. Guys, if you're letting here and now affect the way that you live and kind of getting your eyes off of eternity, the, the tail is wagging the dog. We're, 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 we're not walking in the fullness of everything that God has for us. But we can start any time. And we can keep doing it. I constantly have to think about eternity. Constantly. It affects how I live today. It should. If I get my eyes on today too much, I forget about there and then. Look at verse 6. Paul says, Therefore we are always confident, that knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. The word confident means to be of good cheer, full of courage, to have hope. He says, I'm, I'm full of courage. I have hope. I have, I have confidence that this is going to be happening, that this heaven thing is going to happen to me, that this new body is going to happen to me. The inner witness of the Holy Spirit gave Paul confidence. We turn the page on the notes if you want. The inner witness of the Holy Spirit gave Paul confidence about the unforeseeable future. He had this guarantee in him that nobody could get to. His life was often at risk, but he says it's only temporary. He says, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 to 25. Paul said, for, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this means fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? Shall I live or die? Well, if I live, I'm going to stay and help you. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain. I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul was ready to go. But notice he says, either I'm here or I'm there. And there's no in between. Rickle verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. The word walk in the Bible speaks of your day-to-day -day existence. My day-to-day -day existence is directed by not what I see, but what I don't see, the invisible truths of God. Some people weep at gravesides, and it's hard to watch and everything, and it's kind of like, 
again, I don't, I'm, I, gosh, I do not mean to be critical of people, but there, there's two ways to weep at a, at a graveside. The person, you don't, they don't seem to have any life with God. There was no hope of God. There was no hope for the future. There was no faith. There was no forgiveness. And the, and the people that are weeping at the graveside, they're just, they're gone forever. They're gone. And then on the other side, the person that's, that's in the casket and being lowered into the ground, they knew Jesus and, and they've, they've stepped out of their tent. But we know they've stepped into their glorious body. We know. We're sad that we can't see him, but we will again. And there's two ways to weep at the graveside. And Paul says we're confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And because of that, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm not going to, yes, I miss so-and-so. Yes, I miss this person. But I'm not going to let it destroy me because that inner witness of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead tells me that I'll be reunited again and that I'll be with them and whatever they went through, I'm going to have to go through too, but it's okay because I'll be on the other side with the Lord and with my loved ones. Verse 8, we are confident. Notice, notice again, notice the confidence that he has. We are confident, yes, well, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The word confident means we're cheerful, courageous, optimistic. Notice, guys, it's not escapism. And, and, if, and, if you, and if you've said it recently or have said it in the past, I'm not here to criticize you. If you've said, life is so hard, Lord, just take me home, I, I understand that. I know people, that str- Christians, that struggle with suicidal tendencies. I've talked to, I've talked to, I've had men my age come up to me saying, you know, and they weren't sure if I take my life, am am I doomed to hell? And that's a hard question to answer, not because I don't know the answer. I'm I'm sure of what I believe, but I don't want them to think that there's permission to take their own life. No, suicide's a sin, but Jesus died for our sins. But it's a tragic place to be in life, to be that sad and without, without hope and, and such despair. But Paul says in verse 8, we're confident to be, excuse, yeah, verse 8, we're confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. I'm confident that I'm going to be there. I brought up the suicide thing just because I want you to know God understands our struggles, you guys. He understands how hard it is sometimes. He understands that even how his, one of his own children can think, I can't keep going. That's why I brought it up. It wasn't in the notes, obviously. It just kind of came to mind, but it gets hard sometimes. And it's, I don't, I don't want to be critical about those who, who want to say, I just want to get out of here. I, I get that. But all I'm saying, and I've said it already, and I'm just going to reinforce it once, and then we're going to move on and, and kind of come to an end here. It's not about escapism. It's about graduation. It's not about just getting away from the bad. It's about going into glory. You guys remember Bobby Knight? How many of you knew Bobby Knight? Okay, he, he was a mentally handicapped uh, brother in Christ probably had the mentality of a four or five year old. <laughs> Sweet guy. Uh, always worried. Had a rather pear-shaped body. 
I'm, I'm getting close. It was kind of a joke, whatever. Are you gonna strike four? Thanks, Gwen. Ter- terrible dental hygiene, if you knew Bobby. Love Jesus. He rode his bicycle in the Fourth of July parade all the time, in a Christmas parade. I have pictures of him up in my office. And he was always worried about the future and what happens if they turn the lights off and why are they fighting in, in the Middle East? Why can't they just love one another? I mean, he would come and talk to Pastor Vince and me all the time, probably you guys too. But I love, used to be, I love that I used to be able to tell him, hey, Bobby, in heaven, we're going to have 30-inch waists <laughs> and our teeth are going to be perfect. I'm not going to have artificial knees. We're both going to be able to run and jump and dunk a basketball. That's what God has for us, you know. And he beat me to it, you know. But I'll follow him. That's the confidence that God wants us to have. Look at verse 8. We are confident. Are you confident today? You know Jesus. If If you're a follower of Jesus, fantastic. I understand how we can forget about the promises of God because we're so caught up in the present moment. But guys, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. It doesn't take any spiritual maturity at all to walk by sight. It's just reactionary. Sometimes, please don't misunderstand this illustration, sometimes I come home from, from, from wherever and we have a little dog, she's, her name is April, and she's a pit bull Labrador mix. And she's the sweetest little thing. But sometimes I'll come home and she's walking like this. Because she, she's done something wrong and I'll look around and I'll find whatever it is that she did wrong. She's walking by sight. She's just responding to the circumstances until I give her a biscuit and say it's okay then tail's wagging and denting the wall. And Guys, we're called to walk by, by faith, not by sight. Even regarding your death and graduation to heaven. That's why Paul could say, this is a momentary and light affliction. This is just the dot. I'm living for the line. Verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Therefore, I want you to notice in verse 6, therefore we are always confident. Verse 9, therefore we make it our aim. Because all this is true, this is what I'm determined to do. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's a conclusion verse. It's an action verse. It means, I made up my mind, this is what I'm doing. We make it our aim. This is our ambition. This is, this is the goal. To exert oneself, to strive towards a designated goal. This is small stuff. The way I'm being treated, it's small stuff. When you're aiming at something, you are only aiming at one thing. The words are important. Verse 9, therefore we make it our aim. Quick story, I used to shoot archery. Years ago I had a friend, uh, Jim Wright, who was a a sponsored uh, shooter. We shot compound bows. He was sponsored by Hoyt Easton, and so he got really, really good equipment. He he worked in an archery shop, 
and they were always giving him bows. So, hey, kick one down, you know. So I had, I had like really, really, really good equipment for free. I mean, I, I bought a few things, but I had really, really good equipment for free. And, and I got to be a pretty good shot. We lived in Orange County, and I bought hay bales, and we lived on a quarter acre, and I set, set up the hay bales in the backyard and used to shoot in the backyard all the time until somebody called the police. And, you know, they said, you can't do that. You know, okay, all right. But oh, I was a pretty good shot, you know. I, I could hit something 30, 40, 50 yards, and it was really fun, really good, good, um, good sport to do and all that, you know. But just because I had good equipment and had good technique, I had release. I didn't, wasn't a release shooter. I was a finger shooter. I liked the feel of the string. On oh, man, I love that thing. But I'll never hit the target unless I aim. Just because you have the equipment and have good technique, you still have to aim. And a lot of us in the room have good equipment. We have head knowledge and we have the Spirit of God. We have everything. But we still have to aim. You with me? Because heaven is true, therefore, I'm making it my, say it with me, aim. I'm making it my aim. This is what I'm aiming at. And when I was aiming at the bullseye on the hay bales, I can't, I can't do this. Be looking around. I have to look and sight it in and then let it go. And that's what we have to do. And eternity should help us to do that. The realities of eternity should help us to say, Lord, I'm going to make it my aim to please you. That's what I want to do. I want to please you. Look at verse 10 and 11. We're just going to touch on this and we're going to come back to it next week. I'd like to ask the, the worship leaders to come on up. We're going to have communion here in just a moment. Let me go back to verse 9 and just read 10 and 11 and we're going to visit those verses next week. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Notice, if I'm here on earth, I can be pleasing. You with me? If I'm here, I can be pleasing. And if I'm there, I can be pleasing. If I'm here, I need to aim. Come on up, Laura. If I'm, if I'm here, I need to aim. And when I'm in heaven, I need to aim. There's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory. I aim here, and then when I cross over, I aim there. I want to please him in heaven, too. I want to please him in his millennial kingdom. Make it my aim. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are... But we are well known to God and I also trust we are well known to your consciences. Paul simply says, and I do want to visit this next week, I'm going to heaven. Because of all of that's true, I make it my aim to be pleasing to him. But you know what also? I also have to give an accounting for my life. For the Christian, your salvation is settled settled on the cross and when you said yes to Christ. Us standing before Jesus in heaven is not about whether we're saved or not. It's about what we did with our life. Quite honestly, that puts a holy fear in my heart. And it's very motivating. I have this dream, maybe you have this dream too, that I wake up and I'm in college and I'm going to class, but I don't remember where the class is. And then I finally find it, and I forgot that it was test day. And it's one freak out after another. <laughs> you guys have those kinds of dreams? 
It's like you're not ready and then suddenly you show up and like, oh my gosh, this is reality and I'm not ready for it. I guess I'm kind of twisted a little bit, you know. Okay, we all are. All the untwisted people, don't you dare raise your hand. Okay. I, I don't want I don't want to forget that I'm I have to give an account for my life before the Lord. Therefore, I make it my aim. I want to stand before you and hear you say, "Lord, well done, good and faithful servant." I want to hear that. <laughs>